0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Um, so something that you may not know about me is that for a brief few years in high school, I was a theater kid and uh, it was just a couple of years and I was in a couple of productions in high school. I I did a show at the children's theater Um, and I'd I'd never really say I was like the star of the show. I was usually the bit player in the background, Um, a character actor if you will, Uh, not really going very far. And I don't, you know, I look back on that time very fondly, but there was uh, something that always, like, stuck with me, this particular concept from theater that stuck with me decades even here later. And this is the idea, if you've been in theater, you know this, the idea with the fourth wall. Anybody know what the fourth wall is? The fourth wall is, if you don't know this, it's a concept in theater and film, too, where there's sort of this invisible wall in between the audience and the stage or the screen, a wall that separates sort of the story that's happening from the reality out there. So if you're in a play or you see a movie that the actor or or the actors interact with the audience or start speaking to them, they, they say this is breaking the fourth wall. One of the most famous instances of this you can see on screen is Ferris Bueller, who talks to you during the movie. This is breaking the fourth wall. The, the line between what you're watching and who you are, where you are in reality, is being broken down. Suddenly, you're not just watching a story. You feel like you're in it. You feel like you're part of it. And I think about this, uh, this concept a lot when I think about the church, because when we start talking about the church, albeit unintentionally. We sometimes create this reality where there is a fourth wall, where there is sort of a line between what happens on the quote-unquote stage with people, the professional Christians that come up here and lead everyone else, and you know the bystanders, the consumers, the lay people, the folks who come and receive and consume and then go about their lives, hopefully inspired or challenged to to, to live out what they saw and experienced on Sunday. That is, until the next Sunday when there's a new presentation from the professional Christians for you to come and be inspired by. And it's, if it's not good, then by popular logic, there's probably a better presentation down the road you could find, one with lots more lights and bells and whistles. And for a sizable part of the American church, unfortunately, this is a reality. There is a fourth wall that separates the professional Christians from those who just come to church. And what we celebrate in Pentecost, this culmination of the church calendar together, what we celebrate today is that something radically, radically, radically different is true. Pentecost is the permanent breaking of the fourth wall. The forever breaking of the wall that separates what we would consider the professionals from everybody else. Because the Holy Spirit has come and fallen not just on the elites, but on the ordinary people like us. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit fills and indwells and empowers the single mom that's working right now because she's got to work multiple jobs as the Pope. The very same spirit empowers in the very same way. It's not just for the elect few. It's not just for the spiritual elite. It's not just for the most talented. It's not for the most knowledgeable. It's not for the powerful. God has poured out his spirit. What we celebrate today is he's poured out his spirit on all of his sons and daughters. And because of that, that's what gives birth to the church. Not just a few. What gives birth to this family that we call church is that you today, as you gather in Christ, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in you. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't it? There's not the fourth wall here you can talk back. It's good. And when we talk about this, it's not just, as we've said several times, it's not just an hour on Sunday. It's not just a, a service. We have seen a new kind of family be born. Jesus, when he uses this word church in Matthew 16 for the first time, it's the Greek word ekklesia, and it literally means the called out ones. In Jesus' day, this was not a, a religious word, but it was kind of a word that speaks to a gathering of people who come together for a particular purpose. Usually it's a, a purpose of civil or uh, or political change. It is a people who assemble together. They are called out together, but they're not called out randomly. It wasn't just a religious crowd. This was a crowd who's called out beyond themselves, called out of where they were to gather for a particular purpose that was bigger than themselves. So in Acts 1 then, Jesus makes this clear to this church that he is giving birth. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The church did not begin with strategy, It did not begin with a doctrinal debate. It began in this patient, persistent dependence. When Jesus says, go and and wait for what the Father promised, what I already spoke about, our lectionary uh, text this morning, is when Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit. And he introduces him, I think this is fascinating, as the advocate, paracletos. And what this means, literally, is someone who comes alongside you and speaks on your behalf. It's a legal term, like you're in court God is described in spirit as one who literally stands beside us and speaks on our behalf. That is the spirit that Jesus promises. Later on in Acts 1, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it wasn't just the church that was being called out. It would be called to something as well. The gospel is always pushing us out beyond comfort. It's always pushing us out beyond our own abilities, always pushing us out to peoples and places that we've never known. But first, first, Jesus says to wait. They did not start with action. They started with patient, persistent, dependence. This is five weeks after the resurrection. They're gathered together and finally this patience gives way to reality. It was this thing called the Festival of Weeks. Pentecost was an Old Testament festival in Jerusalem as they gathered together. It was a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest, but it was also in this abundance and provision of God that we're remembering that on Mount Sinai, the law had been given. They're remembering this. And so thousands and thousands of people would gather into the temple and they would read Exodus 19 and 20. Talk about the giving of the law. It's one of the three pilgrimage festivals that we see in the Old Testament. So that means that that literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were gathering at this point in Jerusalem to worship together, to remember this. So Pentecost, as we read about this in Acts 2, it's not just happening in a vacuum. It's happening in the middle of one of the most massive, generational, multinational celebrations that Jerusalem would know year in and year out. Lots of people were there from all over the world. And that's where we see Acts 2 begin to pick up. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. It separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Here's what's interesting. We start talking here about speaking in tongues. Now, I grew up in a tradition. We believed in the Holy Spirit like we believed in grizzly bears, basically. Yes, they exist, but not around here, right? It's kind of one of those things you keep at an arm's length as much as possible but what happens is the Holy Spirit falls we begin to see the supernatural movement as it doesn't begin with healing although that will come it doesn't begin with signs and wonders although that will come it doesn't begin with preaching although that's about to happen it doesn't begin with a worship service it begins it begins with language All those things are still to come. Healing, signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit does incredible things. And believe me, the Holy Spirit still does incredible things. He still works in power the same way he does in the scriptures. But what we see here first is language. He causes these followers of Jesus to speak in a language outside of their own. And so I don't know about you, but I think what happens first should seem significant. Here's how Luke continues. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these people who were speaking Galileans? That's their way of saying, aren't these like the rednecks from out, way out there that aren't supposed to know this stuff? These were the country folk. And how is it that we're each hearing, hear them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Now, when you look at a map of all the countries that are listed here, you see this here on the screen, this is... A circle of the known world at the time the fullness of the world as they would have known it all the way the eastern reaches or western reaches of Rome the eastern reaches of Asia down to Africa and beyond they represented nations that were present in Jerusalem because they had come to celebrate Pentecost so imagine walking through a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people most of whom are very different from you probably many of them look very different dress different are speaking very differently and all of a sudden you hear the language of your home your mother's tongue i think you would notice at first i thought how would you even notice that in a crowd that big but i've been to a foreign country before i've been to india i've been in lots and lots of people in india and i've heard a song or people speaking in English. And even amidst the noise, all of a sudden, I'm like, what? Did I, did I just hear something in English? It cuts through because when you know the tongue, when you know the language, when you know the culture from which you come, and in the crowd of diversity, you hear this, it sticks out. So thousands and thousands of people, many of them from different nations, all of a sudden, in the midst of the celebration hear not just their own language. They hear home. They hear what it sounds like not just to translate words, but they hear what it sounds like to be in the place where they came from, where they are accepted, where they are known, where they are loved. Home is that place where you don't have to translate yourself to other people. Home is that place where where you don't have to constantly worry about code switching just to function and and, and fit in. Willie James Jennings, one of my favorite theologians, he calls this moment the, the language of intimacy because we're not just understanding language. Someone is speaking into the very core of our identity, our language of where we are from and who we are, the very fabric of our humanity. And this, this right here, is the first thing the Holy Spirit does, is empower the church to speak into the lives of others who are very different than they are. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the church is born, he does not erase our differences, he empowers our differences. The Spirit is poured out on our differences for the sake of the mission of God. Stanley Hauerwas, he says the Pentecost brought peace not by healing differences for institutionalization of one language to replace the many. Instead, a multi-linguistic community was born to be for the world a witness to the peace instituted by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Christians would be forced to learn the language of the stranger, Christ, because they also would be strangers to the world as a people of peace and a world of violence notice what we're seeing here is oneness but not sameness do you know there's a difference there is a difference between oneness and sameness some will tell you that there must be sameness in order to achieve oneness And all we have here is the whole counsel of God in the Scriptures to say that that is not the case. God brings oneness in difference without forcing sameness. That's good news. The same spirit, the same gospel, the same family of God, yet it's crossing boundaries. It is tearing down the walls between every tribe. Every nation and every people and every language. This is an essential essentially the the continued incarnation of Christ into the world through his people. God took on flesh in Christ. He became like us in every way. He, he experienced our reality. He experienced our language and stories, our pain. He offered his life up for us. And at Pentecost, what we see is that same heart moving outward, that same incarnation moving outward in the people of God. The people of Jesus, they start here, but they don't stay here. We are always moving outwards. Entering into the stories and the cultures and the languages of others. The gospel seen and heard in the lives of people who are not like us. And it's important to say that we do this not to dominate or to manipulate. Because our missionary past at times has been the use of language to take advantage of the use of language and culture to manipulate and dominate and even destroy other cultures. That, again, my friends, is not what we see in the Scriptures. It's just not. What we see is the people of God moving into and celebrating the diversity of His creation. Not causing sameness, but celebrating wonders. We see this later. Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians 9. I want to read this in the message. I think this is absolutely stunning. He says, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living, immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I, that. I didn't just want to talk about these things. I want to live it out. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so it's not just crossing these cultural boundaries. What we also see here in this moment socioeconomic, and even multi-generational boundaries being broken down. Peter, he begins to preach to the crowd, and he he starts off by quoting from this prophecy from Joel chapter 2. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. See, in those times, women and servants had very little, if any, power at all. And the Holy Spirit is being poured out on those who have power and those who don't. And it's the same power, it's not levels of the Holy Spirit. He's being poured out on all people. One of the things I love about our church is that it's multi-generational. It's not just a bunch of young people, not just a bunch of old people, I'm not pointing out who's old here, you're welcome, but there's intergenerational stories and experiences and wisdom and energy and excitement in all sorts of different ways. What we see is that the spirit is poured out, not just on the young and the excited, but the old and the wise, those who have lived these years and have the wisdom that us, us young folks, I say I'm young, can I say I'm young? Us young folks really, really need, I'm not pushing it, no, that's not pushing it, I'm young, I am one of the young ones. I love that about our church, and I think it's what we see here in the scriptures. Stanley Howell, he's, again, he says, in, in the former days, the Spirit was given to a few individuals, that is, prophets, who've been empowered to speak God's truth, but now, because of the descent of the Spirit, all, even those who were previously voiceless and hopeless, would be enabled to speak up and speak out in God's name. Oh, I love that. I don't know how long you've been around restoration, but... I hope you know, I hope you begin to see that this has profoundly impacted the way we understand the shape of our church, the shape of our mission. First, uh, the people you see, I hope you know this, the people you see up here, are our, our leaders, our elders, we're, we're not the professionals, okay? We're not behind the fourth wall. We believe it's not your job to equip us to do ministry it's our job to equip you to do ministry Now, I'm not saying that we're perfect at that I know there's a lot of work we have to do but that's what we are aiming for to create a culture where it's not about you coming and watching the pros do all the fun stuff and then you drop your offering in and move out it is our job as leaders as pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's what Ephesians 4 says. It's our job to equip you to live out the way of Jesus where you are. You have the same Holy Spirit, the same calling, the same power as anyone who will stand on this quote-unquote stage. We want to relentlessly undermine the culture of Christian celebrities or gurus. We want to constantly find ways, in, 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 intentionally ways, even in the way we set up these rooms, with lights on and there's no barriers here. We're intentionally doing and setting this room up this way because we want you to know there is not a wall here. You are the people of God, and it doesn't stop, start here. You have the same spirit. You have the same calling. You have the same mission. Now, does that mean that we don't believe in leadership and it's just a free-for-all? No. God empowers leaders, but we want leadership to look like Jesus. We want to be servant leadership, equipping leadership. I believe that's the way of Jesus when we talk about these things. I ask this question, and I hope this can become something maybe we wrestle with this week in our community, home churches, whatever it looks like, but what would our church look like if every person felt called, equipped, and empowered for the ministry of Jesus right where they are? What would happen if all of us, those here, those on the live stream, those who can't join us every week, all of the community that God is gathering in, what if everyone felt equipped, felt empowered, felt called for the ministry of Jesus, not as a burden, not as something they add on to an already busy life, but felt like they saw the mission of Jesus right where they were, and they had everything they need to step into what God was calling them to Right now in this room and watching the live stream and those who will listen to this later on, there are dreams, there are Holy Spirit initiatives that are lying dormant, that God is waiting to bring to life in this room among you. You might, as I say that, even think of something right now, something's been stirring in you, maybe for months, maybe for years. And you think, what if God called me to do that here? And our job is to see what the Holy Spirit begins to do amongst his people and to equip you to do these things. Second thing in this is that we want you to know that you're already in your mission field. You don't have to go somewhere far away. Now, some of us will, and I love international missions. I love going to different places, but those are temporary. They're temporary. Where you spend most of your time is your job and amongst your friends and going out in coffee shops gathering places neighborhoods you are already in the mission field that God has called you to your neighborhood your relationships what we see in the scriptures is that God has not put you where you are among the people you are among in the relationships that you have on accident you are where you are on purpose You know who you know on purpose. You are in the neighborhood, the apartment complex, where you are by the sovereignty of God. And you don't have to be the Christian at work, if you know what I'm saying. Do you know what I'm saying there? You ever worked with the Christian at work? I have. You don't have to be that. You can simply be like Jesus. In humility, listen. Enter into the story of others. Enter into the language of others. Enter into the culture of those around you. And like Paul, it doesn't say we have to become like them in every way, but we are willing to enter into that story, their pain, their their, their livelihood, where they find themselves. We as the people of God, we enter into other stories with love i hope you know we don't bring god to people i hope that's clear too god is already present already at work in all things among all people whether they realize it or not our job is to slow down and discern where god is already moving and at work all around us and simply join him one of the ways i've seen this at work the last few years was through something we call the commission fund um, for all of our home churches and communities, we put our money where our mouth is. We take our missions budget and we say each group gets $1,000 from our mission fund. And the reason is, is because we believe, we're, we be- really believe that your community, your relationships are already present. So here's seed money to step into what God is already doing in your lives, in your relationships. And over the last couple of years as we've done this, it's been incredible to see what God has accomplished and done in the lives of people. And, And this is what's so incredible. We didn't plan it. Like this was not like announce this so everybody shows up and makes it happen. This is ordinary people like us just living out the work of the ministry where they are. If you're thinking about starting or joining or being a part of a home church, we want you to start community here. We're going to see that moving into the fall especially. And I hope that that gives you some motivation as well to gather a group of people in community and, and seek this opportunity to step out and to make a difference. It happened just this week as well. We saw on Thursday night at the Woodhill Community Center, one of our home churches, they Gathered together. They've been ministering here and, and, and doing things all, uh, all semester long. Uh, Stephen Wiggins uh, comes here at Restoration. He's an artist. He does mobile s- uh, screen printing. And these are just students here through Amachi, through the Woodhill Community Center. And every Thursday night, or th- Thursday night through there, they've been doing these, these uh, gatherings together and just teaching different things, like podcasting. And this was printing. The design was by another artist, Caitlin Kirk, at our church. All of this just as a way to minister to these neighborhoods, minister to these kids consistently together, incredible night. And we didn't plan it, we had nothing to do with it. It was all the mission of God and the heart of his people moving outward. What if you felt empowered to do that? Where might God be sending you your gifting? your passions, your consistency, your resources, how might He gather you in a community of people and call you into the story of others in a way that shows the love of Jesus? That, I believe, is what the Holy Spirit has empowered us for. The mission of God and entering the lives of others with love. But this starts with dependence I am naturally I love talking strategy and shop I'm most often when we start talking about these things the first thing I want to do is start like brainstorming some cool ideas but it's not where we start it's not where the church starts in the scriptures it's not where we need to start it starts with dependence absolute intentional consistent dependence on the Holy Spirit's power to give us everything we need for the mission he's called us to. And so as we close today, I want to pray for that. I want to pray the prayer of Pentecost Holy Spirit, come, empower us, renew us, equip us. Holy Spirit, where there is trepidation, pray for courage. God, I also know that even the concept of mission itself brings baggage for so many who, who wore themselves down. They're tired and they're weary. Holy Spirit, bring a renewal of our minds, our bodies, our spirits. A renewal of the calling you've placed upon our lives. I pray that you bring us to this oneness that we read about in the scriptures. Continue to grow us to be a people of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. Holy Spirit, I just ask for you to speak today as we worship together and close out our time together. Would you, God, begin to stir in each heart. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's renewal and healing. Maybe that's a renewed sense of calling and passion for what you've shaped us to do. Whatever that may be, God. Start it here today. Renew it here today. Let that fire spark again today. Holy Spirit.